As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Welcome to this replay of Ask N.T. Write Anything, where we go back into the archives to bring you the best of the thought and theology of Tom Wright, answering questions submitted by you, the listener. You can find more episodes as well as many more resources for exploring faith at premierunbelievable.com, and registering there will unlock access through the newsletter to updates, free bonus videos, and ebooks. That's premierunbelievable.com. And now for today's replay of Ask N.T. Wright Anything. Well, we've got quite a serious subject on the podcast today, Satan and the powers of evil. Um, what was that famous line from C.S. Lewis about, uh, I think it, it, it begins the, the screw tape letters mm-hmm. about the extent to which we should and shouldn't believe in. Yeah, he, he is treading a fine line. And, and he said, it seems that Christians go one way or the other. Yes. Either, oh, this is a, a lot of old mythology, or we get rather obsessively Too interested. Obsessive in it, yes. and, and Lewis, of course, had friends who were into different types of magic. Um, Charles Williams was mm. into sort of white magic. Um, and Lewis distinguished white and mm. black magic. Um, And that comes out in some of his novels as well. And there's a sense that Lewis and some of his friends were more keenly aware of powers other than our own powers, shall we say, than many in the 60s and 70s and 80s would have been. I think that quote finishes with something like um, that. The, the devil is equally pleased by the, both the materialist and yes. who denies his existence yes, yes. and the um, magician who yes, invokes Yes, you know, yes, yes. Something yeah. like that. That's very good. Yes, and that yes. sounds like Lewis, the, the yes. alliteration of the two yeah. M's. Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I saw a wonderful ab- adaptation of the screw tape Letters a couple of years ago in London. Oh, um, really? Max really? McLean, who oh, right. I, I know is a great fan of yours as well. Oh, really? A very good actor Colin. out in the States Colin. and does these one-man C.S. Lewis yeah, yeah, shows. Yeah. And, but on we, that occasion, we, playing, we, playing we once We once had a tape in the car with, with the kids of um, John Cleese reading oh, the screw yes. tape Letters. Yes, that was wonderful. Yeah. Both mm. very funny and very vivid and poignant. And yeah. amazing how well it's you know survived for something that was very written in its context of the war years it's it's actually survived remarkably well Mm. um well look this is all rather good precursory stuff (laughs) to to our discussion today um because a number of people have written in both on the specific question of satan the devil and so on and um demonic powers and so on and and generally the powers and principalities that are mentioned in Mm -hmm. the new testament Mm -hmm. as well so i thought we'd bring some of these questions together for today's show Mm. And perhaps a good general question to start off with is someone who doesn't leave us their name, but asks, what do we know for sure about Satan? There seems a big difference in writings about Satan from the Old to the New Testament. But there's a lot that is said about Satan, particularly in the USA, that's not backed up by Scripture. So, um, yeah. Yes, I, I think most Christian generations, if you go back through history, 
have had a sort of swinging to and fro between a very vivid awareness of a power of evil which seems to be out there and active and then people saying, wait a minute, we're, we're, we're taking this too seriously mm. or we're getting too hung up on, on it, whatever. Uh, there's, there's a very interesting book recently, and you will probably know the author's name, called Reviving Old Scratch. Do you know that? I'm afraid I don't, know. Um, oh, okay. Well, w- when, you, when you send this out, <laughs> you, can, you can find the yep. author's name. Reviving? Reviving Old Scratch. Okay. Old Scratch is a, an old nickname for the devil, and this man who I met at a conference, and I'm sorry I'm losing names at the moment, um, he uh, uh, worked as a, an, an assistant prison chaplain and found that in the prison communities in America, especially among long-term prisoners, there was a vivid awareness of old scratch. That's old scratch mm-hmm. at work. And he, as a liberal theologian, had not really believed mm-hmm. in a devil you know right. yeah yeah we all do sort of evil things mm-hmm. and maybe there's a sort of a cumulative effect but that's about it and found that he had to come to terms with it mm-hmm. um and and that was i found a very interesting reflection now the, the the thing that i always say when people ask me in general about this is that if you believe in a good creator god then evil is technically speaking absurd it ought not to fit. Mm. It isn't that we have a perfect cosmos, and here, by the way, is a devil in the middle of it, because that's how God wanted it. No, God didn't want it like that. But therefore, we ought not to be, we, we ought to expect that we wouldn't be able to understand fully what evil powers are, because they, they don't belong, they don't fit, they're not meant to be here. It's like having the wrong stuff in the engine of your car. Mm. Um, it's messing you up, and it shouldn't be there. That wasn't what the manufacturer intended. And if it's got there somehow, we are not told how or why it's got there. Although I do very much incline to the view of my late friend Walter Wink, that um, when people worship that which is not God which is what we call idolatry, then we give to those bits of God's good creation a power which they shouldn't have, and sometimes they say, thank you very much, now Mm. we will exercise this power. This is our power which we give to them. Mm. That's one Mm. way in towards a partial explanation. I wouldn't say it's a whole explanation. Of course, Western culture has lots of stuff which is quintessentially in in Milton, say, Mm. about um, the devil as the leader of a pack of fallen angels Mm. who were cross with what God was going to do with Adam and Eve, so they decided to quit heaven. Was it their decision, or did Mm. he jump, or was he pushed, Mm. sort of thing? Mm. Um, And then better to rule in heaven than, than, uh, rule rule in hell than serve in heaven and all that. Um, but, but, But this means that the perception that many people have had of a dark evil force which sometimes can appear very personalized and sometimes appear to take over human beings and work through them, this is a reflection, one of many, of the fact that some things are out of joint in God's good world and that God wants them to be back in joint and that then ultimately the victory of the cross of Jesus is the victory over 
the powers of darkness, though that then needs mm. to be implemented. So all these things need to be said and they need to yes. be held in balance. So I, I feel like we need to do justice, though, to, to this question, which is what, what do we know about Satan? And I suppose the first question to ask is, is do you think there is, a, if you like, a, a principle right. personality I, I, in yes. that sense? I, in my, when I was writing my book about Jesus, Jesus and the Victory of God, I struggled with how to hmm. refer to this being. And eventually I decided to use the phrase the Satan because mm-hmm. it's a Hebraism. Mm-hmm. Sa- Satan means the accuser, which is why, for instance, when Satan enters into Judas, what does Judas do? He goes and accuses Jesus, mm. as mm. it were. He, he's like the, 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 the assistant to the prosecutor. Mm. Um, that's what the Satan means. So it's not just he did something bad. It's very mm. specific. Mm. Um, and that then goes back to the idea, which again, you find the beginning of the book of Job, that the Satan is part of the heavenly court whose job is to be the director of public prosecutions and who so enjoys his job that he actually wants to lure people Mm. into doing things for which he can then prosecute them. How you explain that, different theologians have had different things, Mm. because all of this is inference from what we see going on. So I I want to say that the Satan is what I would call subpersonal. It's a sort of a being that is less than fully personal in other words it's not a sort of equal and opposite god versus satan that satan mm. is, a, is a lesser being lesser than humans as well right, yes. and nevertheless yeah. very powerful i mean an interesting follow-up question to this eric in washington says why is the devil and the demon so prominent in the new testament yet rarely mentioned in the old testament what changed was it because the appearance of god incarnate made that battle more real perhaps brought the demons out of the woodwork i I think that's precisely right when i you showed me that question yesterday Mm. and i thought ah yes i think that's what's going on because interestingly it's not only the new testament as opposed to the old it's the gospels as opposed to paul and the rest Mm. paul and the rest are aware of dark powers that can do bad stuff and I, Paul, wanted to come again and again, but the Satan hindered us. Mm. In other words, yep, there is, uh, two Corinthians, we're not ignorant of his devices. Satan has got plans and Mm. trying to do things, and we've we've spotted him. That's what he's up to, and we're not going to let him get away with it, which is, it's all very well saying that in theory. (laughs) Um, but, But yes, it seems to me when Jesus is baptized and is announced as, publicly, as it were, as the Son of God, in all senses, messianic and all the other senses. And then he comes into Galilee saying, it's time for God to become king. Who is the false king whose rule is being usurped? And the answer is, it is the dark the dark mm. lord. That's why all those stories in Tolkien yeah. and Lewis about yes. the rightful king yes. coming back, etc. Yeah. that's where they get their power from. Um, and, and so immediately in the synagogue, we get demon-possessed people shrieking at Jesus. Mm. We get dark plots, Pharisees and Herodians, who are not natural and uh, natural friends, getting together to plot. Right. And it's as though when Jesus says, this is the time, the opposition thinks, oh, no, we've right. got to stop this. Right. And that's the story that Mark particularly is telling, I think. Of course, the, the problem is that, that very often, in, especially in modern culture, um, people do run off in all different directions with this sort of theology. Sure. And unfortunately, it can result in abuses as well, where course, people are, you know, being having demons cast out of them when of actually course, it's of course. something else yeah, that they yeah, need, yeah, yeah, not, not yeah. necessary. And and perhaps a question that ties in with this: um, Josh in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, says, 
um, in our modern Western world, what are we to make of Jesus casting out demons and in some cases multiple demons out of one person? Could these not be some sort of mental disorder he was actually curing them of? Yeah, and, and the answer is there, there seems to be a continuum. And again, we're back with this thing that it's either supernatural or natural, right. but there's a great disjunct between them. That's an 18th century fallacy. Mm-hmm. And I want to say these run into one another. And Jesus cured people of all sorts of illnesses and diseases, which is, by the way, the main explanation mm-hmm. for why great crowds followed him, etc. Um, and in that process, what he's doing is putting right that which is out of joint in these characters. And what sort of out of jointness it is doesn't matter that much. I remember when I was at seminary many years ago, there was a big fuss because some people somewhere in Yorkshire, I think, had been um, uh, had had a ministry of or thought they had a ministry of exorcism, and all sorts of things were going on. And uh, about twenty famous theologians wrote to the Times to say this is completely wrong, and we don't believe in any of this stuff. And blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. Whereupon then there was a commission of some sort set up. And I remember the the then Bishop of Oxford talking about it. He was on the commission as he had been one of those who said, this is all a load of old nonsense. And somebody who worked in um, a really dark bit of one of our inner urban areas had said to the commission, you need to come and stay with me for a week. Uh, um, And he took them around and showed them what was actually going on and all sorts of things. And then we had a big session on it in my seminary. And the Bishop of Oxford, was I wouldn't say he was converted, but (laughs) realized there was stuff happening that his worldview had no means of explaining, couldn't accommodate. Mm. So I want to say there is some, like Scott Peck, who is a funny old character, you know, The Road Less Traveled, but he wrote his book, People of the Lie. Um, uh, and that was about evil and about the fact that though there are many stages of psychological mm. evil, mm. there is something a bit extra which you meet in some cases, not always where people yes. think it's going on, but some cases which do not admit of mm. any other explanation other than some force that's been let loose. It's interesting. I've, I've heard from a few different sources recently that um, uh, that the Vatican have said, for instance, that there, there has been more demand in the last decade or so for exorcism than they've ever experienced Interesting. before. Interesting. Partly, it would appear, because of people opening themselves up because of the internet yep. to yep. all yep. kinds of different yep. spiritual I practices. Be, I wouldn't be at so all surprised. On. I mean, when I was Bishop of Durham, I had three priests in the diocese who, very much below the radar, were available for help in cases, whether it was of a house that seemed to be Mm. haunted or whatever it was. And they were very discreet and very wise and very experienced and very kind of boots on the ground, not being fanciful. But there were things that were going on here and there. And I remember one of them, I was with that parish one Easter vigil, and we walked round the parish church before the service uh, sort of 11.30 at night on Easter Eve and then the priest showed me in the palm of the hand was a tape from a cassette tape Mm. which had been strewn all the way around the church and which this priest was convinced was a local Satanist group that had probably recorded, I know, the mm. Lord's Prayer backwards right. or something like mm. that, or curses, and were trying to neutralize the Easter effect. And we tossed it into the bonfire, but the priest then made me look, and a hand was burnt. It was God. singed where this tape had been. On, on his palm? Yep. Right. Good. And I just thought, 
I'm glad this isn't my ministry. And we Gosh. went into church on the stroke of midnight and sang Christ is risen, hallelujah, yeah. that the celebrating the victory. So, I mean, this stuff is out there. Mm. And even if people say, oh, it's all a bit of silly fun and you shouldn't do it, but it doesn't really mean anything, I want to say, no, it looks as though we're playing with fire here. So, so where do we bring the balance in then? Because obviously, if there are treatments which are, in a sense, psychological, they need... Mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. approach mm-hmm. um and but equally we don't want to dismiss this, no, this exactly the spiritual element and, and that's that that's exists. where real discernment is required which is a matter of both prayer and wise medical experience etc and i would myself be very open-minded one way or the other it would be perfectly possible somebody would come and you know i think my son is demon possessed and i might want to say actually i think yeah. you're being fanciful yeah. other people would say we don't know what's wrong with our child she's, she's just a naughty girl and i might say actually something bad's gone on here you know trace back the history and find that they were playing with ouija boards mm-hmm. or whatever and something has just taken hold um and i think that that, that sense of the complexity which i've mentioned before of of human life there are many dimensions and there are many unseen dimensions to to life whether it's in hauntings or whatever mm. which we have no rational means of explaining so yes. you know. yeah but of course yeah as you say great um sensitivity and uh sure judgment needed yeah. because we can't just simply go to the nearest traveling sort of no person no, who it, claims it, to exactly, be able to cast out exactly demons. and this is this is why in the, the roman catholic church and the anglican church at least and quite possibly other churches people who are to exercise what's called a ministry of deliverance in whatever form have to be authorized by the bishop that this is not something which somebody can just jump up and do themselves mm. um or shouldn't be Let's go to Ty in Ontario, Canada, who says, what's your opinion? I mean, we covered some of this, but I think we could bring out some new bits. Mm. What's your opinion on how the Bible portrays the devil, the spiritual powers of darkness, their tactics and their abilities slash limitations, especially in a modern context? And Ty says, I'm finding it troublesome balancing whether or not to underemphasize them or overemphasize them, especially coming from a North American charismatic faith tradition in light of things like the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s, which mm. still exist mm. today. Sorry for the long question, says Ty. So, so yeah, I guess it's another question of, of how, where, where do we draw that yeah, line yeah, and, yeah. and how do we sensibly... I, 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 did, I hadn't heard that phrase, satanic panic, before, <laughs> but um, I do recall in the 80s and 90s that there were some people, some of whom, not all, were part of the then charismatic movement. That one of, one of the em- aspects of this was a lot of people were getting very upset with um, sort of some hardcore heavy metal music which there were allegations oh, were that oh, you could if oh. you played it backwards it spelt oh, out these oh, demonic oh, things oh, oh. now i think a lot of that some of that i don't i think a lot of that was proved to be a bit hysterical and, mm-hmm. and actually people running running off with their imagination and so on but at the same time i think people like ty are saying okay we 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 can accept that that happens but we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah, either yeah, and yeah, say yeah, yeah. there's nothing and, to and it. there is today of course uh, a reaction for instance against the harry potter stories and mm. people say well they're, they're wizards they're yes. doing magic and i think um jk rowling i don't know if she's even aware of that but would just say no you're misreading yeah. the stories because yeah. again and again the point of the harry, harry potter stories is that the most powerful thing in the universe is self-giving love um, I, I think they're a deeply yeah. christian story uh, in, I, in many I, ways. I totally agree and, and if you object to them you might as well object to narnia as well well and of course <laughs> Some people have done, <laughs> but 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 yes, um, and and I think that's where 
a sort of fear of the supernatural unless it is obviously God mm. <laughs> is, is driving it. So there are, there are many confusions. But it is, of course, an area that in the nature of the cases I explained before, we, we should expect to be confused about because it sort of – it doesn't fit with an easy here-we-are-in-a-box view of the universe. Um, but then – Maybe one of the things we need to learn from the poets and the musicians and so on is that our world is open-ended, is multidimensional. So that I, I would say it is a matter of discernment. In, in any church, there should be at least a small ministry team, even if it's just two or three, who together will address prayerfully um, issues that come up in the congregation or in the surrounding area um, and decide and discern and maybe bring in ecumenically bring in other local pastors and say could you come and pray with us about mm. this and see if we can get some discernment on whether this is a problem that we need to address in this particular way or whether this is simply one simply one where we call in the psychiatrists or whatever mm. Mm. Or, or, or whether it's both mm. um, and such as I know about that area implies that there is a range of stuff that can go wrong in human society. And it is, it is partly sociocultural as well. It's not just individuals, mm. and which, which is why. Um, and I think Thomas Mann's no novel, Dr. Faustus, was exactly about this. That his, his thesis really was that Hitler's Germany as a whole was playing Faust, that, that um, Faust had made a pact with the devil, that on pain that he would never love, he was going to be given ultimate power and mm. all the rest of it. And man is really describing the Germany he loves as having become totally demon-possessed. Yeah. Yeah. Wynne in Connecticut says, what's the power of evil you often refer to, including at the time of the crucifixion, and how is that related to Satan, the accuser? And you've already said that, that in a way that the powers of evil were, were gathering around Jesus and, and it was all leading up to this moment at the cross. And I think perhaps you, you especially, among others, have re-emphasized that aspect of atonement, which is that idea of the, the, the victory. defeat, the vi yeah. victory over yes. the powers of evil. Yes, and I think that's very central in the New Testament. Um, John 12, Jesus looking ahead to the cross and saying, now is my soul troubled, should I say, Father, save me from this? No, for this, hour, for this purpose I've come to this hour, Father, glorify your name. But he then says, after the voice from heaven, now is the judgment of this world, now is the ruler of this world cast out, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. In other words, Jesus believes, according to John 12, that what he's about to do in going to his death will be the means by which the ruler of this world, who seems to be the usurping dark mm. force, call it the Satan if you like, um, is actually going to be kicked out of that status, and God is going to become king in a whole new way through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus himself. Similarly, in Luke, um, Jesus says when they arrest him, this is your hour and the power of darkness. And I don't think that's a Johannine or Lucan invention. Mm -hmm. It seems to me it's not easy to say. Uh, it wasn't easy for them to – and I think there's one thing. It isn't that they had good, precise language for it and we don't. Mm. I think they were yeah. feeling in the dark almost literally, mm. Mm. and we have to as well, but that there is an accumulation of the dark forces. But now here's the trick because people have sometimes said, oh, Tom Wright believes in Christus Victor or therefore not in substitution or whatever. Right. Let me just nail that one because the way in which the victory is won – 
in all four Gospels is precisely through Jesus taking the place of the sinner. Here is Barabbas who's supposed to be being killed and Jesus takes his place. Um, the, the brigand on the cross says, this man has done nothing amiss, whereas we are receiving what we deserve. Mm-hmm. There is a sense all through of strange substitution mm-hmm. on the grounds, I think, that the way that evil is kept in circulation, the way it works, is through people worshipping idols and then their humanness deconstructs and and they sin and the dark powers keep their grip through these sinners all of us Mm. still being sinners if jesus then dies in their place the power of the dark lord or powers Mm. has been broken so victory through substitution this is a kind of read my lips moment yeah, this yeah. is this is how it works yeah and and a very related question here from james in australia who says um he's seen you discussing the meaning of the cross and quoting colossians 2 mm-hmm. verse 15 mm-hmm. jesus disarming the powers and making a public spectacle of them um and he sees that as as all tying into that christus victor model of atonement yeah, yeah, yeah. um and so he asks, how do you exegete Colossians 2, uh, 13 to 15? <laughs> and is that an important passage as a whole for relating both penal substitution and Christus Victor? I know you've already covered it a bit there yourself, yeah. but, but it, it, take it, us to that Colossians Colossians passage. 2 doesn't itself directly talk about substitution. To get that, I would go to Romans 8, 1 to 4 particularly, which is right at the heart of one of the great passages in the New Testament, where... Uh, God condemned sin in the flesh of the Messiah, as a result of which there is no condemnation. That is penal substitution quite clearly, but it takes its place within that overarching Romans 5 to 8, which is all about the kingdom of God, which is all about the victory of God, and it it, it drives it. Colossians 2 is um, uh, an odd polemic against watch out for people who might lead you astray watch out for people Mm. who will do this and do that and do the other and part of that is people who might come in and say um oh you better watch out because the jewish law is going to condemn you etc and paul says no you don't realize god's taken all that condemnation of the law away he's nailed it to the cross now there is a substitutionary motif inside that but the point that paul is making is a military metaphor that he has led the principalities and powers like a defeated rabble yes. in his triumphal procession like what a caesar would do with the, exactly. the, the vanquished enemies exactly yes. as you get at the end of 2 corinthians 2 um and in, in various other passages where, where Paul talks about, you know, in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, the rulers of this age didn't understand what was going on because if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. They were signing their own death warrant. Um, and, that and seems I, and, to be a very important uh, uh, strand. Elsewhere, he talks about captivity being led captive. There's mm. this sense in which... Well, that's Ephesians these, 4, where he's yeah. quoting from Psalm 68. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so there's a sense in which, I mean, a lot of people will say at this point, well, Jesus defeats evil at the cross. There's there's something extraordinary co- of cosmic significance yeah, 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 that yeah. happens in that moment. But but yet we still see of course, evil of course. reigning in our world. And, of course, and you know Paul, who was a you know lived in the light of the cross, said there is still the ruler of this age, and so uh, of, on. Of course, and Paul is writing from prison Absolutely. because the rulers yeah. of this age have still yeah. got him where they want him, and so there is very much a now and not yet. So which what? Runs so through. what kind of victory was it then? Okay, okay. 
how long have we got this is this is the whole <laughs> two of, minutes <laughs> this is the whole of the book of revelation that you want in here because it looks as though particularly towards the end of the first generation you see this in some of the little letters so-called as well um, some of the Christians were thinking, well, Jesus won the victory on the cross, so how come we're still suffering? And like First Peter says, don't be surprised, because the victory that was won on the cross has to be implemented through the suffering of mm-hmm. God's people. And actually, that's Romans 8 as well, yeah. when Paul says, provided we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. And that's not just that you have to go through this nasty time in order to get there. It's that somehow the sharing of the messianic woes in the present is the means by which the victory of the cross is is made manifest in the world. And, of course, the history of the church, when read, I think, properly, will show this again and again. The, Tertullian said the yeah. blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And, and that's not what people want to hear. People want to hear Jesus did it, so now we have a nice time. And the answer is no, Jesus did it, so now we know that victory is assured mm-hmm. and we go with fear and trembling and prayer into whatever vocation we have. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Tom. Another tremendous episode. Thank you. Thank um, you. Hope, hope that helped with some of those questions. Uh, Good Eric, questions. Ty, Wynne, James, Josh, <laughs> uh, and others. Um, thank you very much for being with us for this edition of the podcast. Thank and you. And we'll see you again yes, next indeed. time. Thank you. Thank you.